0: What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. Mark Schubs is an American Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and the editor-in-chief of the, I dare to say, super iconic outlet BuzzFeed News. There he oversees a global organization that reaches tens of millions of people each month and features award-winning reporting across tech, politics, culture, investigations, science, and internationally. Over the course of his 30 years, Career, Mark has earned a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on AIDS in Africa at the Village Voice. Uh, shared in another Pulitzer Prize at the Wall Street Journal on reporting on the 9/11 terrorist attacks. Led a team of investigative journalists at ProPublica and in 2014 created Buzzfeed's news investigation team, which is now a two-time finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, another one, and winner of the Polk and National Magazine Awards. Mark, it's such a pleasure to have you on in the Trusted by Podcast.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: To set the stage, how would you describe the state of uh, media and journalism today?
1: So on the one hand, I think it's better than it's ever been. I think the reporting that we've seen over the last you know, five years, certainly, um, and I would even go back farther to maybe the last 10 or 15 years, has been outstanding. Investigative journalism in particular is having a renaissance um, I think that that reporters have found innovative ways to cover climate change, to cover the rise of authoritarianism across the world, to cover the um, gross human rights violations in China even when they can't get into china. so we've we, we've really seen a- astonishing journalism. But at the same time there's a problem that is larger than journalism. That is a social, cultural, psychological problem, which is that the basic facts of the world are not shared. They're in dispute. So at least in my country, which is extraordinarily divided, you have people who don't agree with the outcome of the election. You have a large portion of the population that is resistant to taking the COVID vaccines. You have a large part of the population that does not believe that climate change is actually made by humans or is in fact a a significant issue. And people who are on one side of that divide tend to read and listen and watch some media, but not others. And those on the other side of the divide are, are, are not looking at the same media. So literally your, the, the information that you're getting based on the tribe to which you belong is entirely different. And this is a problem that I think is um, existential to our, uh, our, our entire system of life, our system of government, our democracy. And I don't have a good answer. So if you're expecting a good answer today, you're not gonna get one. You're probably gonna get more questions than, than, than answers.
0: What I love, one, uh, that was from one of your talks or interviews in 2015, is that you say, hey, reporting and writing, you can't separate those two. That's true. Is that, to, at least when you write nonfiction, is that drilled into every process in uh, BuzzFeed News or... Uh,
1: Yes, it is. It is because, and I want to sort of explain so, so that people listening have, have an understanding of what I mean. If you are asked to write about, I don't know, the events at Agincourt in the 1500s, unless you're a historian, you're literally not going to be able to write anything because you don't have any facts, So when you sit down to write a great investigative piece or a profile of a musician or a politician, if you're sitting down to write, it's not just about stringing together pretty words. It's about assembling facts and scenes and anecdotes that you have learned through your reporting that makes the story powerful. And if it's a story that's investigative or or has, you know, Political impact or 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 you know is a serious story about a serious topic. What makes the writing is not a flourish of rhetoric. It's the power of the facts. And that is something that we very strongly believe at BuzzFeed News for all of our reporting, whether it's reporting on celebrities, which we do and we love doing, or whether it's doing a deep investigation into Russian assassinations on British soil, which we also do. So that's critical to everything in every aspect of Buzzfeed news.
0: It's News. Uh, yeah, and I applaud how articulate you, it, it, it was a video from 2015, I will edit uh, in the show notes, but uh, yeah, it's, it's so clear. I, I think that's one of the main problems, separation between those two of the, the things that are not going so well currently on the internet. Mm.
1: So first of all, we have, a situation that is equivalent to the creation of the printing press, obviously much more powerful than the creation of the printing press. But if you were alive at the time of Gutenberg, believe me, that was a massive change. And one of the things you had happen was a great dissemination of disinformation through the printing press. We don't think of that now because we're centuries removed from it, but it happened, right? And there's some very interesting scholarly work that talks about how the rise of the printing press helped to lead to representative democracy. In other words, a technology of disseminating information helped lead to a new form of government to to contain and deal with this new form of disseminating information. So now we live at a time where literally everybody who has an internet connection is a publisher, right? But also we live in a time where the biggest platforms reward the most sensational content. So if you are a writer, not just anybody, but somebody who wants to have their views get more eyeballs, you're going to make your views as, you know, extreme as you possibly can. And so what you see is a ton of writers who have opinions, who have takes, and far less original reporting. And I think that that is a problem. We focus on original reporting. The essence of BuzzFeed News is that we find facts that the public doesn't know. We load them into a rocket, and we blast them into the world. And yes, we want them to be well-written and clear and understandable, but it's the facts that we focus on.
0: I was together and there was a Dutch documentary on fake news and misinformation and uh, Craig uh, Silverman was part of it. And I was part of it as the, someone from the Netherlands, they want to make it local as well. One of the things he Elaborated on was, hey, I helped pop- popular, uh, popularize the term fake news, but now I cringe every time I hear it. Um, at Buzzfeed, you're really doing that fight against fake news. Is there? So w- what did you learn over the last uh, over over the last years regarding fighting misinformation? And did it um, did it impact the way how you distribute your content, the way you produce your content?
1: So first of all, we do a lot of reporting on disinformation. So one thing we do anytime there's a large news event, whether it's you know an election, whether it's a riot, whether it's a hurricane, we know, we just know that there will be rumors or falsehoods that are spread across the internet. So a public service is to debunk those. We do that very well. We do that very swiftly. And that's one form of combating disinformation that has become a routine and rapid part of our journalism. The second thing that we do, which is something that that is not new, but we do emphasize it, is we really try to show readers why we know what we know. And that's always been the case, according to so-and-so. But the internet makes that easier. You can link to the document itself, and in fact, with new technology, you can link directly to the sentence in the 500-page document that supports UORC. Try to show why we know what we know, how we know what we know. But ultimately, I think that the problem of disinformation, as I said earlier, is just bigger than what journalism narrowly defined can solve. It's a problem of too much information and it's a problem of tribal affinities. You believe people who you know, share your point of view rather than looking at the facts and making up your own, your own mind. And, and that's, I don't have a good answer for that. So the short answer is yes, it has changed the way we do news, it's not so much changed the way we distribute news because we were always distributing on social platforms, but it has made us more aware that we need to show our work and debunk falsehoods.
0: What role is there for the platforms, for search engines or maybe, maybe social media? Is there a, th- a thing they can do or the playing field between news outlets and, and big tech? Is there something you can say on that?
1: Yeah, I think that, that, that the, the fundamental problem is that original reporting is expensive. It is really expensive. Writing an opinion is inexpensive. Going and spending, you know, 1 week or 1 month or 1 year, which we do, trying to ferret out what actually happened or what somebody was doing or, or, or whether there was you know, corruption in global banks or you know, whether Putin was behind these assassinations or, or whether you know, those people in Chicago were rightly or wrongly convicted. One of our reporters freed more than 10 people in Chicago through her work on the broken justice system there. That kind of work takes time and money and resources. And the platforms do not are not set up to support that. And so while they rightly say that they are trying, not necessarily very effectively, but they are making some efforts to clean their platforms of the most egregious hate speech and things like that, they have not found a way to to adequately compensate original reporting places, not just like BuzzFeed News, but many places around the world that are doing great original reporting, the, the, the profit sharing that, that Facebook and YouTube and other of these gigantic platforms have with news organizations is not enough. And that is a fundamental problem um, that the platforms need to solve. The second problem that they need to solve is this issue of their algorithms Sort of blindly rewarding engagement, which really means blindly rewarding what's often sensationalistic or false. And those are legitimately hard problems.
0: Who should fund journalism or how do you see that change over the coming years? Of course, you said I don't have the answer for everything, and I I fully understand it's an ongoing process. We're working on with all of us, but What should funding for journalism look like? Is that, should it be a membership model, an advertising model, uh, a government model? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the the simple answer is all of the above. I mean, what I think is is good about how it works in the United States is you do have actually all of those. You have great uh, uh, nonprofit journalism whether that's the, you know, uh, public radio stations which are you know, key to many communities in the United States doing great local journalism, or whether it's ProPublica, which does great investigative journalism and full disclosure. I used to work at ProPublica, um, but I do think they're they're a great organization. Um, our organization is is funded entirely through advertising, Um, and affiliate marketing. We don't have any subscription. So our news, which is quality news, is free to anyone. No matter how much or how little you make, you can get our news. And by the way, we now have two news organizations at BuzzFeed. We have BuzzFeed News and we have HuffPost, which we recently acquired. Both of those news organizations are free to anyone. And then you have great organizations like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times which work primarily on subscription, they have great advertising, but they also have very powerful and lucrative um, subscription models. so I think you, you, you shouldn't try to have only one model you know and in, and in countries such as the Netherlands, such as the United Kingdom, where there's a tradition of government funded um, you know, uh, media that where the government doesn't interfere like it does in Russia or China, then it makes sense for there to be government funded media in those sorts of, you know, democracies that have a long tradition of that.
0: Then there's kind of um, when buying an outlet and please take the question where you want to take it. It's kind of hard because the shareholder incentives are maybe not so much aligned with the editorial team or the newsroom as the more work you put in it, the less profit there is, at least in the shorter time, term. You need to have shareholders with a vision.
1: Well, I would actually slightly disagree with you. I, I do think that news is not as profitable as other ways of, you know, of other content on, on the internet. I'm not going to deny that. But breaking news is very profitable. Like people, that breaking news drives a lot of traffic. People want to know what's happening. They want to know what's happening now. People were glued to their phones waiting to see the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. He is the white police officer who murdered uh, the black man, George Floyd, by holding his knee to his neck for nine minutes. Um, You know, people wanted to know that. And they were glued to their phones. So, so many, many breaking news sites, ours included, you know, had, had huge click because of that. So it's not true that that news uh, cannot generate enough reader interest and engagement to have a profitable business to be supported by business. What is true is that you have to balance how much of your news organization is you know devoted to investigative or tech coverage or science coverage what we call service journalism, which is very important for people's lives. For example, health, which everybody living in COVID knows how important that is now, reliable health information. But it's been that way forever, whether you're a young person worried about how to avoid STIs or, you know, a person uh, who might be older thinking about how to avoid breast cancer or, or heart disease. Those are very, very important topics that that are not necessarily breaking news, but they are not only important for readers, but also provide an environment where advertisers might be more willing to place ads, right? And that's been true for the entirety of for-profit newspapers. The New York Times and the LA Times have great food sections. Well, is that about breaking news? No, but people wanna know about recipes and advertisers would like to advertise in food sections. So there can be smart ways of creating a sustainable business that does actually allow us to do powerful, democracy-saving, investigative, and accountability journalism. And our company believes in that. Why would we have just bought another news organization if we didn't believe in news? Like, we have invested heavily in news and will continue to do so.
0: No, 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 but that's, that's why I, um applaud acquisitions from by a company like you with with such high standards because not every shareholder understands um how to run a news organization how do you see the uh, that, to sort of a, a last question to how do you see the industry evolve over time over let's say this decade the in, industry of journalism
1: I'm very bad at predicting the future. (laughs) So I don't think I'm gonna give you a very very satisfactory answer. Look, honestly, I don't know. Um, I do think the subscription model is going to absolutely be the way that the largest legacy newspapers go. It's very clear that the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times here in our country, that's like, that's their bread and butter. That also means that the way they do news is going to change because they're going to be thinking about what the people who subscribe to them want. Um, It's also not going to be available to everybody, which I have personally have real concerns about, Um, but it's going to help those organizations survive. And that's important. I don't think there's going to be one model. I think you're going to see a, a continuing you know, experimentation with different kinds of models. Like many people in the United States, I think the hardest nut to crack is local journalism because there's just not the scale to bring in advertisers when you're focused on a relatively small population. And I think that, that's going to be a much more difficult problem to solve.
0: Is that something that's on your mind or that a Buzzfeed-ish organization can provide uh, an infrastructure for local journalism?
1: I mean, it's something that we're thinking about. We don't we have not we, we don't have concrete plans at the moment, but it's something that we're thinking about. And we've, you know, talked about some ideas that we might be able to support local journalism. One thing that it might be interesting for people to know is that some of our best journalism was very locally focused. So for example, we did some reporting on on, on a local police department, the Baltimore County Police Department, and that, that reporting ended up changing the rape laws in Maryland. It used to be that if a woman did not fight back, physically fight back, then it was not considered rape. So you could imagine a woman with a knife to her throat, not daring to fight back because she would be killed and being raped. And that was not considered rape. I mean, this was an outrage, an outrage. And our reporting changed that. And it was local reporting. It was focused on one particular police department in one county in the state of Maryland. And similarly, what I alluded to before about our work on Chicago's broken justice system was totally focused on Chicago and led to the exonerations of 10 people who were wrongly convicted of murder. So so some of our most impactful most important journalism has actually been local. And that's something that that I've been thinking a lot about and want to tribute to local journalism through our journalism, but maybe also through some local initiatives. We don't have something to, 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 to make public at this point, but it's something we're thinking about.
0: Maybe there's even a monetization model possible around all the insights you gain on processes, but super interesting to uh, see where this will go over the coming years. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for sharing your insights. Is there a special place beyond uh, BuzzFeed News where people can uh, find more about the work you're doing?
1: two things one i i do uh, as 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 my role as an executive at buzzfeed the company i also uh, advocate for huffpost so obviously I'm, I'm very excited about our new editor-in-chief there, Danielle Belton, who is amazing. And I also teach at the University of Southern California's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Uh, and, and we have a great program with, with, with them. And I'm, I'm very excited about all of those different, those different projects. And I'd wanna thank you so much for having me on. It's been such an interesting conversation and a real, real pleasure.
0: Thanks so much, Mark. I'll put all the links in the show notes and uh, thanks for being a guest on the Trusted Web Podcast.
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
0: It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low and therefore we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing, 2021. You'll find the report, the show notes of this episode, and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.